Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Congdon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Congdon. Lisa here. I just want to thank you for supporting my podcast and being a loyal listener. I am so grateful to you. To show my gratitude, I am now offering 15% off at my online store. Visit me at lisacongdon.com to shop colorful archival art prints, stationery, desk accessories, home goods, and more, all at 15% off with code PODCAST15 at checkout. That's right, get 15% off of all of our products at lisacongdon.com with code PODCAST15 at checkout. Link to the shop in the show notes. Friends, I'm so excited today to share with you my conversation with Kat Velos. Kat and I met last year when we sat together on a panel for Portland Design Week on the topic of book publishing. Kat's book, We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships, is about just that, cultivating better friendships. And I became quickly interested in the work she does in writing and thinking and facilitating conversations about friendship. Since the release of her book, We Should Get Together, Kat has been spreading the message that the cultivation of thriving, resilient connection is how we'll heal our country's loneliness epidemic and why this is the number one issue that individuals and companies need to make a priority. Kat's approach to the cultivation of friendship and community is informed by her extensive background as a community facilitator, researcher, and user experience designer. Today, Kat and I are going to talk about the side of friendship that I think we don't talk about enough, and with which I have personally struggled, which is setting and maintaining boundaries in friendship and also breaking up with friends. I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity to dig into this topic with Kat, who has spent a lot of time thinking about all sides of friendship, including the parts we don't normally address. Kat is incredibly wise on the topic of friendship and boundaries, and we dive into all of it. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. You and I met last year when we sat together on a panel for Portland Design Week on the topic of book publishing. Your book, We Should Get Together, The Secret of Cultivating Better Friendships, is about just that, cultivating better friendships. And I became quickly interested in the work you do writing and thinking and facilitating conversations about friendship. And today we're going to talk about the side of friendship that I think we don't talk about enough in which I have personally struggled with, and I think actually a lot of people struggle with, which is why I think we should talk about it more, which is setting and maintaining boundaries in friendship. And this is something I have been thinking about 
a lot in the last year in particular as we've sort of gotten back into like regular life after every introvert's dream which is like pandemic life and don't get me wrong I am a person who loves people and I love having friends but I also find friendship sometimes challenging and so I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to talk to you about this today so first of all I want to say that when we got on today there was like a torrential downpour in the background you're in the bay area right and there's just like a ton of rain happening right now yeah, we're having one of those bomb cyclone winter storm seasons where it's just dumping rain. It hailed last night. It woke me up in the middle of the night. That was surprising. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of like normal here in Portland, but I used to live in the Bay Area and I remember like when it rains there, it really rains. It's not just a sprinkle. It's like a storm. You also, people can't see you, but I can right now. And you have like a electric fireplace going on in the background. So everything looks really cozy. It's making me really happy. It's very winter time right now. Yes, it is. So you are a speaker, facilitator, certified coach, and author in the area of connection and friendship. And I am sure everyone listening right now is thinking like, how did that become what Kat does? You know, so I start every episode by asking my guests to tell us their story and to tell us about how you got to do what you do today. So I was wondering if you could start by just taking us back to the seeds and tell us your story. Yeah, for sure. It's been quite a journey. And the the thing I love about it is that for many years, I had these two concurrent threads of my life and the way I showed up in my work and the world. And I finally feel like I've gotten to sort of blend them together. So my career journey you know, I've been a designer for over 20 years. I majored in design in college, and that's mostly what I've done since I left school. But I also had a diversion from that track where because I'm so invested in community building and creative community specifically, uh, there were times where I did that on the side, like outside of work. And there were times where I did that as my work. And so kind of flipping back and forth between doing design or doing facilitation. And and again, facilitation, for those who don't know, is, is a type of group work, bringing people together for some kind of purpose. And so there were times where it went one to the other, one to the other. And in the last few years, since my book came out, I feel like I've gotten to mix the two of them together, but it's taken, it's given the word design in my life a whole new definition, a whole new meaning, because it's not just like designing pixels on a screen. I'm actually designing experiences for the real life and helping people design better experiences in their life related to connection and community. And how did you get interested in writing about the topic of friendship and connection like how did that happen tell us that story yeah you know I've always been a writer and it's the way that I process I'm an introvert I'm a person who likes to think likes to write a lot and I think the most clearly sometimes when I'm writing something out and when I had moved to the Bay Area I started, I was like really excited. I didn't really know anybody here. I started from scratch almost, just knew a couple of acquaintances. And I started going to like lots of meetups and lots of gatherings, lots of events and meeting lots of people. And one of the things I quickly learned is that meeting people is different than having friends. Like it's fun and it feels friendly and and friendish when you are hanging out at a new potluck and you're meeting new faces and whatnot. But it's different than having people that you can call or that you can rely on or that feel really integrated into your life. And 
I started to notice that like, hmm, I'm meeting lots of people, but it's it's a little bit different to get to the deeper friend stage. And when I would open up and talk to people about what their experience of friendship was like, I was hearing a lot of the same things around me. And I thought that was really strange. You know, really wonderful people I was meeting who said they were having a hard time making and keeping their friends in adulthood. And I, as I mentioned, I like to write. So I was doing lots of writing about this. And I'm also a little bit obsessed with like creating <laughs> events and gatherings and so I was like, oh, I'm going to start holding gatherings where we talk about this topic and actually bring people together. And so I created a gathering called Better Than Small Talk because that was the other thing. It was like I was going to a lot of events and you answer the same five questions every time you go to a new gathering. It's like, oh, what do you do? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And I cannot stand small talk. <laughs> so I was like, let's get together and not ask each other any of those questions on purpose. And so it was really out of the conversations I was having with folks at that time and the reflection reflections I was having on the experience of friendship in my 30s, that I was just gathering lots of information, just writing lots of essays on my computer and, and not really sure what I was going to do with it. In my work as a user experience designer, I was also employing this process of research and design to help make like apps better, websites better. But I was like, what if I just use the exact same qualitative research process to ask the question, why is adult friendship so hard and how can we actually design a better experience for connection? And so it was really this blend. That's really cool. What were some of the things you learned right away about making friends that, you know, you have some of your offerings are about like questions you can ask people that, you know, facilitate interesting conversations that are not small talk, right? That allow you to get to know people better and to connect. So I'm sure something you learned was having to do with that but what else did you learn about making friends in that sort of early phase of exploration that kind of helped lead you to what you do today? Gosh, there was so much. It, it was really a mix of the things I was learning from the qualitative interviews I was doing with folks one-on-one, -on -one, as well as the research I was doing into quantitative studies that people much smarter than me have read with like, you know, their whole like research teams of scientists and psychologists and whatnot. And so, gosh, there was so much I was learning. I mean, one of the things that really stuck out to me that was very salient in my life here in a part of the country that is very transient is the impact on proximity in how we form and maintain friendships. Of course, psychology knows for many years that the proximity principle states that if you are exposed to a person over and over and over again, even if they're just a stranger, even if it's someone you don't like, like generally there will be some sense of relationship that forms just by seeing each other over and over. Like they've done studies where they get people they, they'll have they'll plant like a stranger to like walk into a classroom in a in a college setting and never interact with anyone, never say anything to anyone, but simply through familiarity, one day people will be like, "Oh, we noticed that person has stopped coming into our room. Where are they? Like, are they okay <laughs> or something?" And there's this sense of relationship really that's formed just through exposure, and unfortunately in this particular part of the country, and I know there are many others, where people move a lot. So pre-pandemic, there was a lot of physical movement in the commuting that we do, but there's also a lot of geographical movement. People move in and out of the Bay Area. I was talking to people and they were saying like, oh, I've been here for a year or two, but I'm planning to move within the next year or two. And what that created was a situation one year where I went to more goodbye parties than birthday parties. You know, everybody I would make friends with would leave. And for the people who 
were long-termers here, sometimes they didn't want to make friends with people that were new to the area because they had the experience of constantly being left behind. And so proximity and hypermobility is what I call it in the book. There's four sections in the book, and hypermobility is one of them. And that was one of the biggest things I learned about how it's, it's a circumstance of modern life, but it definitely affects the way that we are able to make and keep our friends. And moving away is one of the biggest challenges that people state for why their friendships fade in adulthood. Yeah, it's so interesting. My best friend, Jen Hewitt, who I think you may know, we fortunately like had years of developing a friendship before I moved to Portland and then Jen moved to upstate New York. And we still talk almost every day over text and have a phone date once a month. And I feel like we've done a really good job, all things considered. But I don't think that would have happened had we not had this sort of very strong foundation initially where we lived in the same city and saw each other regularly. You know, having maintaining friendships, as we're going to talk about today, is hard under any circumstance. But it's especially hard when the person doesn't live close to you. I mean, it's it's easier now with social media and texting and things like that, but it's still very challenging. Yeah, it is. And in your example of your and Jen's friendship, you know, one of the things that I think makes distance easier to handle is when you have that strong foundation ahead of time. In the book, I tell a story of, of one of my own friendships that way, where with two of my closest friends, they were people that I lived either in the same apartment with or across the street from each other for like two years. And then for 15 years or 18 years, we've not lived in the same state, but they are still two of my closest friends. And it was really because of that foundation that uh, cemented our friendship in really close proximity and high frequency early on. And also a ton of compatibility and the really good chemistry, you know, that kind of stuff too. (laughs) I have so many questions for you today. And some of these things are things that I've sort of personally struggled with. And selfishly, I want to know your perspective on on some of my questions. But I've also asked several people in my life what they would ask you. So there's sort of an amalgam of things here. And one thing that came up over and over again in some way or another was this notion that people already had a lot of friends and felt satisfied with their friend group. I think we all go through the period where we're trying to make friends, whether it's because we're in our 20s and starting a new life or we've moved to a new place. But then most people get to the place where they might feel satisfied with the number of friends that they have and their capacity to be a friend to a certain number of people. But those same people, myself included, are often confronted with people wanting to hang out, get coffee, clearly want to be friends, right? Yeah. Which led them to feeling pressured and overwhelmed. So this this idea that like, I already have too many friends or already have enough friends. And then the question becomes, how do I politely decline friendships without hurting feelings? Because Everyone in my life who I talked to about this conversation I was going to have with you and, you know, personally are like, we're all very empathetic people. And I mean, for better or for worse, I care what people think and I don't want to be a jerk. But I also am one human being with a busy career and a relationship. And I'm also an introvert. So I need a certain amount of time by myself. And unless you're like, you know, somebody who I feel like an instant connection with who I'm like, I, I've got to be friends with this person. Like, <laughs> I'm not necessarily going to have time. So how do we, in terms of boundaries, like how do we politely decline friendships 
without hurting feelings? Like, what does that look like? And what can it look like in a healthy way? Such a thoughtful question, such an empathetic question. And I'm glad that this is something that you and the people that you talk to are thinking about. And I have two stories about this. One is from a time when I was not very good at this and I observed somebody do this in front of me. And the other is years later, after lots of practice and trying to be less of a people pleaser, I had to do this myself and and I feel like I did a pretty good job. So the first story was when I had gone to visit some friends in Portland and I was introducing a couple of friends that I knew there that didn't know each other, but I was like, oh, I think they would get along. Let's all go out together. And we had a lovely time. And at the end of the evening, or sort of towards the end of the evening, one of those folks said to the other, I really loved hanging out with you. This was so great. I would love to be friends with you. Can we hang out again? Whatever. And I was just like, you know, in my heart, I'm thinking, great, my friends like each other. And my other friend was like, wow, thank you so much for saying that, you know, and I got to be really honest with you. I am really stretched thin when it comes to keeping up with my friendships. And I know that I don't have time in my life actually to really add another friend that I can maintain because I'm already like not doing such a good job keeping up with the friends I have. And and he was like, sorry, but this has been so, so much fun. And it was profound for me to watch this as a bystander because <laughs> I was like, it was just done with such grace and kindness and honesty and empathy. And I could tell that the friend who got turned down, like, she did not feel insulted. Like she was just like, oh, I get it. It's totally cool. And it was, it was very quick. And then we moved on to the next part of our conversation and it was fine, but it was just so smooth, really. I was like, whoa, I think I just watched a magic trick. Like what was that? Did you happen to process with him afterward? Did you ever talk to him about it? I did. And I said, you did a really amazing job. Like turning down that friendship like was that weird for you and he was like no it's not weird for me he's somebody who also like does a lot of like therapy and group work and communication work like he's just very very skilled and so he's like yeah no I just he's like I just think it's better to just be like really honest and tell people like if I don't think I'm gonna do something and he's really good at that too like when somebody will ask him to hang out and he wants to turn them down Instead of just saying, oh, I'm busy that day, I'm busy Thursday, or I'm busy Saturday, let's pick another day, he will actually tell them the thing he's doing for why he cannot meet them on that day. Like he might say, you know, I have a commitment to myself to exercise at that time, and I've been trying to stick to my fitness goals, so I am not available to meet you on Thursday at 6 or something like that. So the other person knows, like, he's being serious about why he can't come, but they also get more insight into his life and what's important to him when he discloses what's the other thing that he is choosing in that time. It's just like a very uh, transparent way to live. Mm-hmm. I love that. You said you had two examples. I didn't know if there was another one you wanted to share. Yeah. So the other one was when I had to do this and I, and I include this story in the book because I had gotten on this like very gung ho thing of like, I want to meet people. I want to make friends. And I went, was doing all kinds of gatherings and, and things and meeting new folks. And I overdid it, Lisa, and I <laughs> had too many acquaintances and I realized that I was trying to maintain too many face-to-face friendships like IRL in my local area and I just did not have bandwidth. And there was this new acquaintance and she was so cool and so lovely. And 
I could see she would be like a really wonderful friend, but she was asking me to hang out like all the, you know, kind of all the time. And I had to keep turning her down and I felt really bad turning her down. And I realized that if I kept doing that without explaining more, she might think that like it was something about her. And so I just said, you know, can we talk on the phone real quick? Because she had texted me, oh, you want to do this thing? And I was like, can we talk on the phone real quick? And she said, yeah. And I said, you know, I got to be honest with you and tell you that I'm I'm stretched too thin. And it was kind of the same thing my friend had did, right? I said, I'm not able to really give my existing friendships all the attention that they deserve. And I think I need to have a smaller social circle than what I have done here. <laughs> and so I need to take a step back. And I want to tell you because I want to be fair to you so that you can know to focus your energy on people who have more availability because you're wonderful and you deserve more attention than I'm actually going to be able to give you as a friend. But I still want to be acquaintances. I have, I hope you don't have hard feelings, you know, feel free to reach out, you know, you know, and, and she was like, oh, oh, I get it. I get it. And she was really sweet about it. And she understood. And like every once in a blue moon, we'll, we'll touch base again. Or, she, you know, she reached out one time to ask a question about some work thing. And I was like, yeah, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. And it was just really nice. And so on the occasions where we've bumped into each other across town, it just feels really warm and sweet instead of like, oh God, awkward. I have to avoid this person or whatever. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. If I think two people are being really honest and empathetic to each other to try to understand like what's happening for them and know that each person is trying to be fair and kind to the other one. I love that so much. And it's making me think about two things. So first I had, before we hopped on the call, I had messaged you last week about this notion about, you know, about a lot of things that I wanted to talk to you about. But one of them was like, how to keep the number of friends simple and sort of manageable. Yeah. So how do you know, what are some signs that we can look at that maybe our social circle is too wide, or that it's causing us stress or anxiety in a way that's not healthy? And also conversely, not just for us, but for the other person. Mm -hmm. This is a very personal, like, person-to-person case kind of question because there really isn't one answer. You know, there, there, there are recommendations, particularly from psychology and also like there's a medical impact also in our health of what our social fitness, our social relationships look like. And so there are kind of like general guidelines of like, you want to try to have at least a handful of friends, people that you trust, that you feel like you can go to in a time of need. And you know, that that you feel like you can be yourself with, right? You don't need to worry that you're going to be hurt or put down or shamed or things like that, right? So a small number, a handful of, of close friends that you feel that trust and safety with is really important. Beyond that, it's really up to each person. You know, for some folks, they really do just want to have a few close friends and that is enough. For others, they start to feel a little stagnant. They start to feel a little unexpressed. They start to feel a little lonely if they don't have a larger circle that includes a wide range of acquaintances and, and casual friends and friendly strangers, you know. So it's really, it's down to your appetite. It's kind of like if we were going to sit down to a meal of tacos, like I can't tell you the amount of tacos that's right for you. you your stomach's going to tell you that. And so our social appetite varies and it's important to check in with yourself and know like what feels right to you. And the other thing with that, when I think about maintaining like the right, the quote unquote right number of friends is that it's really a dynamic balance. Like there's an adjusting that we do all the time of like, is this the right amount or is that the right amount? Oh, I think I did too much this week. Oh, I think I'll do a little bit less next week. And so it's not like making one choice or one decision and like, that's it forever. And, you know, I know you like to ride bikes, so I'm going to like share like a bike metaphor for this. When you're biking, you know, 
and you take turns, for example, you lean into a curve, your, your bike's going to tilt, right? You're going to lean to the left, you're going to lean to the right. Sometimes you're going to pedal, sometimes you're going to coast. But in all cases, you're still moving forward. But that doesn't mean that the experience of being on the bike is always the same from moment to moment. And I think that's a good metaphor for what it's like in friendship too. It's like sometimes you're going to do a little bit more, you're going to do a little less, you're going to lean to the left, you're going to lean to the right, you're going to shift gears, you know, and as long as you keep moving forward in a way that feels healthy to you, it's all right. That's so, I love that metaphor. And I I also think you brought up something earlier that made me think it's also important not to compare yourself to other people. What's interesting is my wife and I are so different. She's actually more extroverted than I am, but she maintains fewer friendships. So one does not necessarily, you know, lead to the other. I think I have an easier time. I'm more relaxed with intimacy and like close friendships. I tend to go deep with people. And I'm also comfortable with having more acquaintances. Although lately, I've been sort of questioning, you know, my choices with because I do feel spread thin, where Clay, while she's more extroverted and loves being at parties and around people, she also only has like, a couple close friends, and feels overwhelmed sometimes when she's got too much on her plate socially, she needs a lot of downtime. And it used to be that she would compare herself to me. Oh, you have so many friends and you have so much energy for, you know, hanging out with people and connecting with people. And you, you know, you have like several very close friends. And I was like, you can't compare yourself to me. You're a completely different human being with different needs. And that's been a great lesson in our relationship that we can't use each other as a barometer for how things should be. Yes. Yes. Such a valuable, such a valuable reminder. So another thing you said earlier was making me think about the fact that a lot of times when we feel overwhelmed and somebody's sometimes downright outright asked us to be friends, sometimes it's, (laughs) you know, it's much more subtle than that. It seems like somebody wants to be our friend. They're trying to throw us cues, but we don't exactly know. A lot of time our tendency might even be to ignore that person. And we call that ghosting, right? When you just don't respond (laughs) to somebody or... We've all been ghosted, or at least most of us have, by by people, by clients, by whoever, right? And we probably have all ghosted someone. And ghosting or being ghosted can leave people feeling very lost and ashamed and embarrassed or confused. And I always think about that Brene Brown quote where she says, clarity is kindness, right? This idea of kind of what your friend did, which is being very direct in his boundaries versus ghosting. So like, how do we not ghost people? Like, how can we get to the place where we have the courage to potentially hurt somebody's feelings? Because we can't always predict how the other person's going to react, you know, even if we are kind and generous in our truth. So what advice do you have for for those kinds of situations where we, we might be ghosting someone, but we know we need to tell the truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, that's a really big one. I will preface this by saying I am in like the same camp as you with my perspective on ghosting, which is, I think it's kinder to be clear with people, to be kind, to just say, whether it's, hey, I, I'm i not feeling the chemistry in this friendship and I just want to be honest with you about that. Or like my friend did, like, 
upfront, like, I'm not even going to begin <laughs> this friendship with you because I don't have the availability and, and I, I don't want to let you down. Or if it's saying, I did a newsletter recently called Non-Ghosty Friend Breaks, where you don't want to break up the friendship, but you need to take a break and you don't want to make the other person think they're being ghosted and have all this anxiety and stress about it. So ways to communicate when you're going to take a break in a way that doesn't damage the friendship. And I'm always a fan of communicating. <laughs> it's it's like the thing for me. It's like my love language is like, let's talk a lot about our feelings. <laughs> and so I'm a big fan of the clarity and the kindness and the sending a dispatch from the hinterlands you're headed to so that they know you're not stepping out of their life forever. However, my perspective on this was really deepened last year. I had done a partnership with Invisibilia for their friendship season, and they had one episode about ghosting. And I, like, starting out, I was like, ghosting sucks, like, nobody should do it. But by the end of the episode, I realized that for some people, this was kind of mind-blowing to me, for some people, they prefer ghosting. <laughs> to be, be ghosted? Yeah, because for them, it would be more painful to have someone tell you to your face that they are not choosing you, even if they're choosing their own life, their rest, their work, their whatever it is, another friend, like the clarity for them was almost like too painful. And this was like mind blowing to me. And so some people actually prefer the vague kind of fade out rather than like a clear line in the sand. Well, I guess ghosting is a form of clear communication. <laughs> I mean, it is. But to me, there's like a different, like, I have had a hard time when I've been ghosted before, because to me, it isn't clear. Because I usually, if I don't hear from someone, I just assume like, oh, they must be busy. Oh, they maybe they're they're busy at work or something else got caught up. And unless it's like numerous times reaching out and they're not texting you back, that's pretty clear you're being ghosted. But most of the time, I just give people the benefit of the doubt and I assume we're going to reconnect at some point in the future. Maybe I'm like naive, but I'm like, oh, like we're probably going to talk again. And so I don't take it so final unless it's like very, very clearly you're being ignored. And for some people, they actually prefer the fade out. And what's interesting about that is that the average adult loses one to three friendships a year. This comes from Robin Dunbar's research on connection. He's like amazing scholar, expert in this area. Like, I like bow down. And he- I will link to him in the show notes too, so people can can take a look. Yeah. yeah. For those who aren't familiar, he's, he's the person who Dunbar's number is named after, mm. uh, which states like the maximum number of human relationships we're able to actually maintain. He's the evolutionary biologist, evolutionary psychologist. And so he's the go-to, right? And in his research, he found that the average adult loses one to three friendships a year. And most of the time, it's not in a friend breakup or a very clear line in the sand. It's actually just fading away. And because there's this almost like a little revolving door of people coming in and then just kind of like fading out of your life, that means you need to be adding new people <laughs> to your life because the little conveyor belt's going to like slowly pull people away, whether it's because they had a baby and now they're like have no energy to hang out anymore or they moved to you know turkey and and you can never align your schedules to talk on the phone anymore or whatever it might be like people are just going to fade and they can be revived certainly but it's important to refill your well of human connection knowing that it's perfectly natural and normal that some of your friendships every single year are just going to fade 
Yeah, I love that point. And I lost touch with a lot of people during the pandemic, especially people here in Portland where I live, who I used to maybe get dinner with once every six months or, you know, people that I didn't have close friendships with, but I was sort of maintaining these you know, kind of like peripheral friendships with. And I found that that was actually a relief to me that I was like not putting energy into friendships that weren't going very deep for me. And then when it became more socially and, you know, health wise acceptable to go out into the world and socialize, I thought, oh, I should call this person. I should text this person and see if they want to hang out. And then I gave myself permission not to because the friendship had faded. I mean, granted, it might have been because of the pandemic. And maybe it's just because at the end of the day, we didn't have enough in common. Yeah. And there's no hard feelings. And that person also didn't reach out to me. There's no, it's not my responsibility alone to make sure a friendship continues. And that that's okay. And it's okay to have um, relationships with people that, that are more distant and some that are very close. And I used to put so much more pressure on myself to maintain relationships with people, even relationships that were not that exciting to me. And I, that's one thing I feel like I've let go of in the last couple of years is um, just like, it's okay. And it's, yeah. a, and that person doesn't think badly of me. And if they do, then, oh, well, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. That's something too, that it definitely in, in my thirties and I'm now in my early forties, like it's something that I've gotten a lot more calm with is that ease and spaciousness around what it means to have a friend that there's a little bit of space with. Yeah. And to just not, like you said, feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one who has to maintain this. I got to fight to keep this thing alive. You know, it's like actually a dance. Like both people need to be reciprocally contributing to the maintenance of that relationship. And it's also okay for there to be like, okay, like now we're going to, we're going to feel what distance is like, and maybe we're not going to talk. And I, I feel fine towards you. I hope you feel fine towards me. And it will be so nice when I run into you again at the grocery store one day or something. Right. And it's okay. Yeah. What about when someone says something that's hurtful or tone deaf to you? Like, I think that's one thing we all struggle with is how either in the moment or in a good enough time after the incident, how to give feedback to a friend in a loving way. I mean, obviously, it might even be something that makes us angry and we need to stay in touch with our feelings. But I think most of us err on the side of not saying anything. There are definitely exceptions to that and people who are really good at just like in the moment saying how they feel. Sometimes we don't even realize that something has hurt our feelings until later because yeah. it happens so quickly and the conversation continues and maybe the, there are other people there. So what's a good way to give feedback in a way that's loving? This just happened with me and Jen this summer. I did something that I don't want to say offended her, but like upset her. And in the moment, I had no idea. And then we were eating together and she told me. And she cried a little bit and I listened and apologized and we hugged and moved on. You know, we processed it a little bit. And I was so grateful that she told me because I had the opportunity yeah. to apologize and see things from her perspective in a way that I, I hadn't picked up on before. And so I understand the power of, again, clear communication and telling people how you feel and communicating because if we keep those things to ourselves, the other person doesn't have an opportunity to grow or change or learn and the relationship won't deepen. So 
how do how do we do that in a way that that really is loving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when you describe your story of what happened with you and Jen, what I'm hearing is that Jen was committed enough to your friendship that she she made what the Gottmans call like a bid for repair by letting you know that a harm had been done or felt and inviting you to join her in the repair there or asking you to step forward or step up into a role of repair. And that is even when it's painful or awkward, when particularly if we're the one who's being called out, it's a really meaningful practice to then actually acknowledge that like what it is, is it's a request for a greater closeness and it's a request to recommit to that friendship. Because what the person who is making that bid for repair is doing is they are acknowledging that they are not going to let the hurt stay and fester quietly. They're not going to push you away and with a sense of mystery <laughs> where you don't know why they pushed you away. And they're not walking away from the friendship either. So it's really it's a it's a really courageous stepping forward that they're doing in the vulnerable sharing of like, wow, this hurt my feelings or this thing happened and it felt really awkward or uncomfortable and I want to process it with you. It's really a bid for closeness. And if the person who has done the offending can take it that way to realize that it's not, you know, to make you feel like that bad guy, it's not to hurt your feelings, it's a bid for closeness and repair and like come at it with that mindset, it's a lot easier, I think, to then step into into the experience of repair, into making the apology, into saying like, how can we make it better? Or how can I show up for you right now with some support? And then I think it's just easier to give in an empathetic way when you realize that what you're both doing in that instance is like trying to make a repair and it's and it's a mutual activity. Like both of you need to actually be there. What happens when people get really defensive or, you know, angry or or denying what happened is like they're actually pushing away. They're pushing away the the reality of the other person and they're pushing away the opportunity to have that repair and closeness. So that's that's my perspective on that. It is hard to do, definitely, because none of us likes to feel like we've hurt another person, you know, or if we are the one who's had our feelings hurt, sometimes it's scary to say like, you know, this thing you did, it was kind of an ouch moment for me or like it didn't sit right with me. Can we process that? And I think it's like also important to keep in mind, like, you know, your friends, you know, their personality, you know what their sense of humor is or what their sense of sensitivity is around the way to approach it and also how soon to approach it you know I have a friend who one time we were at dinner together and I shared something I was really vulnerable for me and she kind of made a joke out of it she wasn't like making fun of me but to her she like made like a haha joke about it and I was like no actually I was sharing something that I'm really scared about (laughs) and that really hurts that you are laughing right now and she was like, oh my God, I have no idea. Like, and I like started crying and like we had a moment, but we like processed it right then and there in the moment. Cause I felt like I could, I trust her enough to know I can be honest with her. And we were alone. I would not have necessarily done that if we were at dinner with like two and three, four other people, we were having a one-on-one meal. And I could say in the moment, like, Ooh, ow, that really hurt. Can, can we, <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> 
<laughs> and then it was fine, you know, and, and we went on another walk later and processed and she was glad that I had the courage to tell her how I felt. And I was glad that she had the openness to hear me and to, and to want to care. Like I asked her to really, what I was asking her is to care a little bit more right now than you're giving me. And she was like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. I want to care more. And so it was fine, you know, and we've, we fully repaired it and moved on from that. And so you really know your friend taken to take into consideration, like who they are, what their vibe is, how much trust and closeness you have, what the setting is, like how much privacy you have to discuss it. I would definitely do it one-on-one. I would not do it in front of other people. And and just believe in healing is ultimately what it's about. That's beautiful. Okay, last question for you. Something, and this is a big one. So I, something I think about a lot are the pros and cons of social media when it comes to friendship. On the one hand, it makes it easier to keep in touch and know what people are up to. So like does feel like you're sort of in touch with people that you're not necessarily talking to all the time. And there's something about that that's actually kind of cool. On the other hand, it makes it easier to know what other people are up to, which can lead to jealousy and FOMO and like all of these assumptions. So talk about how to manage your emotions around friendship when we have access to seeing so much about our friends online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one is a biggie because it's a part of our life. It's been a part of our life for quite a while and it's not going away. There's two things I have to say here. One is to acknowledge, and I have a section in the book about parasocial relationships, which is what often happens in social media mediated friendships. Parasocial relationships are when we consume information about another person passively, it can lead us to feeling closer than we really are to that person. It can happen with friends. It also happens with celebrities. It happens with like anyone whose life or information we're consuming a ton of in a very one-sided way. So like when people follow a celebrity or a singer they really like and they read everything about them, follow every video they post, whatever, that celebrity does not even know who that fan is. But that fan is like, oh, I love them. I would do anything. You know, like it is a completely one-sided parasocial relationship. And it's there's an illusion of closeness that is, is not actually based in reality in terms of like you two knowing each other and having a relationship. And this kind of thing can happen with friendships too, where when you consume a lot of information in a very passive way about the other person, it can lead to feeling closer than you might actually be in reality. And there are benefits certainly to staying up to date on what your friends are doing and knowing what's in their life, but it's not a substitute for actual interaction with each other. And especially if it's happening in a really one-sided way, like maybe you're consuming all of, you know, Betty's things online, but Betty actually doesn't see any of your posts or doesn't look at your social media pages and and has no idea what you've been up to. It's not equal or even remotely balanced. And so I caution people against having too many social media mediated relationships or friendships because it can have this false sense of closeness and to also acknowledge that if consuming a lot of info about your friends lives online leads you to feeling a lot of FOMO leads you to feeling left out leads you to feeling lonely leads you to feeling like oh your life sucks in comparison it's like maybe turn off the feed like turn off the hose like shut it off and like actually take a break and maybe go for a walk and talk to one person on the phone and that will probably make you feel closer than just scrolling 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 and seeing how beautiful and wonderful everybody else's you know friendships are 
So that's my two cents on that. It's not like I'm saying all social media is bad. I use social media too. I I like it. There's many positive things about it. For me, it's the best at maintaining loose ties. So whether it's like casual online friendships or like professional connections, I would not rely on social media to maintain my closest friendships. It would actually, I I would feel like something was going wrong (laughs) if the only way I was maintaining my closest friendship was with social media. And for many years, I did a strange thing, which was that when I made new friends with somebody and I really like them, and let's say we lived in the same town, so we had the chance to see each other face to face, they would be like, oh, like, let's connect on Facebook or whatever. This is way back in the day when I would use Facebook. And I was like, no, and I'll tell you why. I really like you and I would like to hang out with you face to face. And what I observe is that once I add someone on social media, in that case, Facebook, we stop hanging out face to face. We stop talking on the phone. We stop getting together in person. And instead we just comment on each other's posts on Facebook. So by not adding you on social, what I am telling you is like, I want to be real friends with you. And if you're okay with that, cool, let's trade phone numbers or like, let's put a date in the calendar for our next hangout. But me not adding you on social is me saying, I want to be real, real friends with you, not online friends with you. I love that so much. Actually, I have had the experience with a friend who I'm now, I would consider one of my best friends. We actually met in line at the movie theater. We were at a film festival and we were both in line. And because I do have a big online social presence, I get recognized a lot. And so this person. Her name is Cindy. She was like, are you Lisa Congdon? And I said, yes. And I had only lived in Portland for about six months. And I didn't really know very many people, especially very many queer people. And she was definitely a lesbian. And I was just like, she seemed really cool. And we just started talking and she's, and I was like, yes, I'm Lisa. And she's like, oh, I love your work. And we were talking about the film festival, making small talk. And I said, we should get coffee sometime. And I think she was a little taken aback, right? And I I was like, no, for real, like next time you're on social media, like, you know, send me a DM. She did, like within a few days, we went and had coffee, we totally hit it off. And then we started hanging out as friends. And she revealed to me later that she unfollowed me on Instagram on purpose, because she was like, oh, I really like this person. I have a little bit of a like, I'm putting her on a pedestal because she's this artist that I love. And She's sort of famous and I want to get to know her as her and I don't want to be clouded by anything that she's posting about her life. And at first my feelings got hurt when she told me, you know, six months or a year into our relationship that she had, because I think I, I found out because I was like, she's asked me a question and I was like, oh, I just posted about that yesterday or something like this. This was before, (laughs) this was before Instagram stories, right? Where like I wasn't posting as much personal stuff. So when I did, I thought, you know, people would pay attention. And she's like, oh, I have something to tell you. I don't follow you. I purposely, like, I really wanted to get to know you as you. And I didn't want to be clouded, you know, by who you are in the world or what other people think of you and your work. And, like, it just was like I ended up respecting her so much for that decision. And our friendship not only survived that, but, like, we're still really close friends to this day. And and she does follow me on Instagram now. (laughs) But like she went through a period in the beginning where she didn't. And I think even if you're not a person who's well known, like maybe even 
giving you and your new friend the challenge of like getting to know each other in real life and not relying on social media in your friendship could be can be really powerful. Yeah, that's huge. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that so much. I what I one thing I heard in your story that I want to touch on is the impact of curiosity and the impact on curiosity when we consume info about each other without an interaction with each other. You know, I observed that when I would do this thing, so I was saying like, quit being friends when I wanted to be friends with somebody, quit being online friends when I wanted to be friends with somebody. It's like the curiosity would dry up. We wouldn't have to reach out to ask each other what had been going on because we could just see it on social. And I had this coworker one time who said that she had run into a acquaintance at the grocery store and the friend was like oh hey I saw that you went on this big trip to some whatever country oh looks like you're doing great all right well good to see ya like bye (laughs) or whatever and and my coworker was saying like she felt really sad after that interaction because what she would have really liked is to actually have a conversation with them and like talk about her trip, the trip was actually really difficult and had a lot of hard moments and it wasn't the stuff she posted online, but she would have much rather had a coffee and a conversation about how it went. And she realized that by sharing this like highlight snippet, that person felt like they got the whole story and it killed their curiosity to actually hear about her trip. Whereas if they had run into each other and the friend was like, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where you been? She's like, oh, I went to Italy or whatever. They'd be like, oh my God, I want to hear about it. Like they would have curiosity to hear about it rather than feeling like they already got the story. And it made her also be like, I need to stop posting <laughs> so much online. And I think that we don't even notice sometimes the impact on our curiosity when we get, our mind just fills in the rest of the story, when we see a snippet, or we see a picture. That's right. And there's so much we don't know. People will say to me a lot, because I am one of those people who has a lot of Instagram followers, and people will say, they'll meet me like at a book signing or something. And they'll say, Oh, this is so weird. I feel like I know everything about you. And you don't know anything about me, which is sort of what you were alluding to earlier. And I'm like, in the politest way possible. I'm like, you, you actually think you know a lot about me, but there's so much about me you don't know, right? People sort of like fill in these stories about who you are. And we all do that, right? With people that we follow and admire, or we're curious about. And I think it's, you know, we are all sort of human beings and we can't know everything about someone, even our closest friends, you know, just by observing things on social media. I lied earlier when I said that was my last question. (laughs) I realized that there's sort of, there's one that I really want to ask because I think it's a question that a lot of people have. And it is a question that one of my friends brought up for me to ask you, which is how do we know when it's time to end a friendship? Like, obviously, this is a personal decision, but I'm curious if you've given thought to and talked in your work in the past about ending friendships and like when you know it's time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways that can look, you know, obviously, as you said, it's a personal decision. And I think it's also a case by case decision because so many factors play into that. So one is, as I mentioned earlier, most friendships end with a fade out. And so sometimes the quote unquote ending of the friendship is actually just entering a dormant cycle or entering a fade out. And that doesn't necessarily require a ending conversation. It can just quietly go to sleep and maybe you revive it later. I had a post on my blog about 
pruning friendships mm. and why it's not always necessary like to just go chopping off friendships that feel like, oh, it's not serving me or, oh, it's like not so great anymore. And in fact, maybe just letting it rest for a while, like switching out pruning metaphor with the idea of like resting a field or letting a, a season go dormant for a while. So really letting yourself check in with yourself and be like, do I really need to cut this out of my life forever? Or is just what is happening right now with who we are today, not the fit and that's okay. With that said, you know, I will also say like, sometimes I've thought I wanted to end a friendship and I was wrong and I'm really glad I didn't do it because mm. that person is still part of my life five, 10 years later. And I am really glad that when we were going through that rough patch or like having a hard time seeing eye to eye or like, you know, pissing each other off or whatever it was that we like worked through it and worked through it and worked through it. And now we're still friends and it's beautiful. And if I had ended those friendships when they got tough or we had, you know, a tough, a hard time or, or an argument or whatever, you just let go of so much. You let go of all your history and you let go of all the future that could be there. So like, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to say, wow, we are really having a hard time right now. But if the commitment is there and there's some hope of possibility for the future, Think about how you want to approach that with the other person if you're both bought into that. And if it's really, really time to say goodbye, I think just like any healthy breakup, you can do that in a healthy and loving and positive way as well. And to say, you know, I am so glad you've been a part of my life. I've really learned a lot from you. And with, you know, where I've been in the phase of my life that we've known each other, I'm grateful for the things that you taught me and helped me learn about myself and learn about the world and learn about you and, and all of that. And I also feel like I'm in a stage of my life where I need to take a step back from this friendship. And I, and I want you to know that I care about you. I love you. I wish you the best, but I am not going to be able to be in this friendship either right now or for the next year, or I don't know until if I could ever come back. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's okay to like have an ending that is kind. Like we, breakups and endings don't have to be acrimonious and like angry and sad and hateful like they could they can be kind and loving and respectful and separating as well i think it's also important to remember that just because you are genuinely being kind and loving and respectful and not sort of bsing your way through a breakup with a friend how that person reacts is not your responsibility. So just because you're kind and loving doesn't mean that that person has to respond in a way that is also kind and loving and understanding. I mean, you might get that reaction. You might also get somebody who is extremely hurt and angry. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, your responsibility is to do what's right for you. Mm -hmm. And if the friendship is causing you pain or distress or it's triggering to you in some way, that it's okay to take a break or to say this isn't this isn't serving me anymore or this repeated behavior is, you know, is toxic and I I don't have room for it right now, however you want to word it. And that's one thing that's really that I've really had to learn is like when I give feedback, whether it's on a behavior or the ending of a relationship that, you know, I'm only responsible for my sort of part in taking responsibility for anything that I might have done that's been harmful. I'm only responsible for expressing my feelings and I can't force the other person to, mm -hmm. to be okay. 
And yeah. and that's hard, but that's okay. Um, we can't control how other people react. And I feel like that's also another important thing to remember when you're kind of ending or shifting any relationship. Yeah. And that it's okay if there's sadness or grief, even around the loss of that friendship. And it's not the better choice to like bend yourself into every shape possible to prevent the other person ever feeling sadness. If you need, if you need to leave the friendship, then you need to leave the friendship. It's not to stay. And like, then you feel grief and sadness over staying in a relationship that feels wrong for you, you know? Yeah. I am in the show notes going to link to all your things, your book, in case people are interested. And I know people are going to be interested. And you've got this wonderful calendar. Tell us a little bit about your calendar. Yeah. So the Better Conversations calendar is one that I made to help us have better conversations. And it's really born out of my frustration with small talk. (laughs) And it comes like, not just from a place of like, oh, let's like have different icebreakers, haha. But it's, it comes from a really deep place of wanting us to have conversations that make us feel alive and that feel honest and true and fresh and just affirming in a way that like, doing the script of rote uh small talk i I say how are you you say fine how are you it's like i want to have conversations where we're awake and alive and not just like doing a performance of a script and it also came from like a really deep place of me getting completely overwhelmed with the question how are you after george floyd was killed because people were asking me all the time how are you how are you and i was like how do you think i am Like, I'm probably grieving. I'm probably angry. I'm probably sad. And I also don't feel like I have to explain my pain to you just because you're curious to hear about that right now. I've been explaining my pain a lot to people. And so I was like, can we just stop asking how are you? And I did this whole blog post about it. And so that was like really where it all started. And I went beyond that to then say what would happen if we adjusted all of the different ways that we have conversation with each other and replace the typical small talk questions with something a little more thoughtful, a little more intentional, and that gets at the core of what we're trying to do with the other person, which is to connect around something meaningful or that helps us know each other better. So that's why I created the calendar, the Better Conversations calendar. I still have a handful of them here for people who want to receive a piece of mail from me this year. I can send it to you. Otherwise, you can get the download of it later on this year after the physical calendars are sold out. One other thing I'll add is that another tool I created to help you have good conversations are the Better Than Small Talk cards. I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I was doing these gatherings using the cards as conversation starters and ways to have a gathering that doesn't fall into the typical rote conversations. And the cards are also available on my site as a download. And if you get the book, we should get together six of the currently seven decks or categories of questions are actually all in the back of the book we should get together. So that's also an option if you want 300 plus questions that can start a really good conversation. Kat, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me on, Lisa. This was so delightful and I'd be happy to connect anytime. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Editing of this podcast by the amazing Gabe Garber. Thanks to Nick Lambert for the original music and to my amazing team at the CoLoop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. You can follow me on social media at Lisa Congdon and at the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. 
Have a magical day, everyone.